go. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, if you would open it up, turn it on, click, flip, swipe to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And while you're doing that, I just want to say uh, it's good to see uh, some of you who are uh, old friends and uh, friends that we have known uh, close to 30 years now. And so very good to see you and to meet some other new friends today. And I would also uh, just say that I have enjoyed the relationship that I've had with your uh, pastor and the way that he has been deliberate and intentional in uh, cultivating a friendship with me and his kindness to me. And uh, whether we are sitting around talking baseball or family or ministry or the scriptures or theology, I always leave my time uh, with you encouraged and appreciate your friendship very much. And so grateful for this invitation and uh, understand the significance of that and uh, appreciate you letting me be here in your pulpit today. So have you found uh, Romans 10? If uh, you would, if you would please stand with me in honor of the scriptures, I'd like to read Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 17. I'm reading from a translation that is going to be close to what you have. It may not be exactly what you have. If you have the NASB or the ESV, I'm preaching from the today from the HCSB, that's the Hyper-Calvinist Study Bible, that's the, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I wanted to offend as many of you ahead of time as I could, so, uh, but I think you'll be able to follow along. So Romans chapter 10, brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God concerning them, that is Israel, concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will go into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew or Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." How can they call on him they've not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. But all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. This is God's holy word for you, his holy people. Let's receive it as such. 
Please be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and ask for your help today. That the Spirit of God who inspired these words would be the instructor of our hearts. That you would guide us into truth and guard us from error. Lord, my prayer today is that you would help us to understand our role in global missions and in the Great Commission. And that we would leave here today joyfully embracing that privilege and opportunity that you've given to each one of us. To that end, we pray and we preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to admit that um, I've had the advantage of kind of being in this text for some time, getting ready for this uh, Lord's Day, for this missions conference. And so I am assuming that you have not necessarily been spending time in this text um, in the last few days. And so whenever you come to a passage of Scripture, it's important to know where you are, what the context is. You'll find in your Bible study that, that context is key to in, uh, properly interpreting the Scriptures and so properly understanding what the Word of God says. So where are we? We have to ask, where are we? It, it, it reminds me, I have an uncle named Benny. <laughs> and I remember one time... Uncle Benny was coming to visit us, and uh, he was going to be coming down to Florida, and so I was running errands, running around town, getting things ready for his arrival, and uh, was listening to the car radio, and I heard on the car radio that uh, there was a traffic report, that there was a car going the wrong way on Interstate 95, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's the way he's going to be coming. So I got him on the cell phone and I said, Uncle Benny, I just heard a traffic report. There is a car going the wrong way on Interstate 95. And he said, David, you're not going to believe this, but there's dozens of them. <laughs> so it is important, whether you are driving your car or whether you're approaching a text of Scripture, to know where you are. So where are we here in Romans chapter 10? Well, the book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. It is his magnum opus on the doctrine of salvation. It is the gospel, and he drills deep into the gospel. And so um, we begin in, uh, in chapter 1, and we get now to this section in chapter 10, and really, the, the section that we're in, the broader section that we're in, is chapters 9, 10, and 11. And he's talking about the place of Israel in the economy, God's economy of salvation. Where does Israel fit in God's economy of salvation? So he's dealing with it in chapter 9, and chapter 10, and chapter 11. Now, he's already, way back in chapter 1, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In other words, he's saying, listen... Just because you are of the nation of Israel, just because you are a Jew, just because you're one of God's chosen people, you still need to come to God through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is all through the book of Romans. And so uh, it is important for uh, those who are of uh, Jewish ethnicity to understand that because, uh, because one is born Jewish doesn't mean that one is saved and going to heaven. Salvation only comes through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now he's, he's uh, kind of plowing up that ground and, and dealing with that more 
uh, with more depth in chapters 9, 10, and 11. When we get to chapter 10, it is the great missionary chapter where he's saying we need to carry the gospel to the Jews and to those who are apart from Christ because it is their only hope of salvation. So that's kind of where we are in the context. It's important to know where you are when you approach a passage of Scripture. So let me just kind of give you the flow of what we just read. In the first seven verses, we see the missionary's motive. The missionary's motive. And then in that middle section, verses 8 through 13, we see the missionary's message. That is the gospel. If you believe in your heart that, uh, that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The, the message of the gospel. And then beginning in verse 14 through the verses that we read, we, we think about the missionary's method. How are we to carry the gospel to uh, the Jews and to the ends of the earth? And so that's kind of the flow of where, we've, where, where we are in this particular passage. So with that, let's just buckle our seatbelt and kind of work through this. So the missionary's motive, he says in verse 1, It is my heart's desire and prayer for them that they would be saved. The motive of missions is a heart for the lost. And not just a heart for the lost, but the reason we have a heart for the lost is because we have a heart for the passion of, of, of God's glory. Because God is no more glorified in anything that he does than in the salvation of a sinner. The heavens declare the glory of God. God is glorified in his creation. But nowhere is God more glorified than in the redemption of a sinner. It cost him the life of his only son. That's how important, significant it is for God to redeem sinners to himself. And so the missionary's motive is for the salvation of sinners and for the uh, glory of God in seeing sinners come to Christ. So um, why would somebody pack up their stuff, move across the seas with their family to the foreign mission field? It's because God has given us a heart for the loss and a passion for his glory. It's the missionary's motive. A few uh, weeks ago, I found myself in a very uh, unexpected and unusual situation. I was in Gainesville, Florida in an attorney's office, and I was sitting in the conference room in that attorney's office with five Supreme Court justices from a country in Central Asia. And uh, they had come... uh, That country has like 70 Supreme Court justices, and they sent a delegation of five to the United States. They went to Washington, D.C., and met at their embassy there in D.C., and met with our State Department. And then uh, this attorney in Gainesville was part of an organization that was hosting them, and so they came to Florida. They were in Gainesville to meet with some law professors at the University of Florida. And uh, because Lifeline is licensed and accredited to do international adoptions, in their country, they asked us to meet with Lifeline. They didn't have time to travel to our home office in Birmingham, and so I guess I was the the closest thing Lifeline had to send to meet with these Supreme Court justices. So here I am in this attorney's office. There's, There's me, there's these five Supreme Court justices, there's two translators, and there's the attorney who's hosting us, and I'm thinking, what what am I doing here? I, I don't belong in this setting at all. And so they're asking questions about Our ministry at Lifeline, our adoption ministry, they're talking about uh, international adoption. They're talking about issues related to our State Department and their government and how intercountry adoption is working with with all that. Then one of the justices seated right next to me 
asked me this question. He said, tell me this. Why would a family in America want to adopt a child from our country when there are so many children in your own country who need to be adopted? And so, how would you answer that? <laughs> so I, I, I breathed the prayer, Lord, help me not to cause any kind of international incident. We don't want to go to war with this country. Don't want to mess up Lifeline's relationship with this country. And so this was my answer. I said, I really can't speak for all American families, but I can speak for our Lifeline families. We are only working with Christian families. These are men and women, uh, husbands and wives, moms and dads, who have been, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because what he has done on their behalf to bring them into a relationship with God through, the, their, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are compelled to be compassionate to the most vulnerable among us here in our country and around the world. And I had the opportunity then to take just a few minutes and just begin to, begin to unpack as best I could with these five Muslim Supreme Court justices the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the motive that would motivate a Christian family to open their heart and their home through adoption to a vulnerable child? It is the gospel. We mentioned in the Sunday school hour uh, that just passed that, that we adopt not because we are the rescuers, but because we are the rescued. The gospel has transformed our lives. And because the gospel has transformed our lives, we as believers have a responsibility to care for orphans in their distress. The missionary's motive is to see sinners come to Christ and to see God glorified through the salvation of sinners. And then in this middle section, he talks about the missionary's message. The missionary's message is not humanitarian aid. The missionary's message is not mercy ministry. It's not social justice. The, the missionary's message is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do what we do at Lifeline. When, when Pepper and I first interviewed with Lifeline, we went to the home office in Birmingham and they brought in the, um, the domestic adoption team and they showed us everything that they're doing to serve domestic families who are adopting these newborns. And then they brought in the pregnancy counselors that work with these expectant moms who are in a very difficult situation and needing to choose an adoption plan. And we're just amazed at the, the way that the gospel was shared with these women and uh, the way that these women were, were loved on and encouraged to consider the claims of Christ on their lives. And then they brought in the international adoption team and we begin to see what Lifeline is doing uh, literally around the world. The sun never sets on the ministry of Lifeline. We are in Asia and Europe and Africa and South America and North America, every continent except Australia and Antarctica. <laughs> Lifeline is involved in adoption and orphan care there, and we were amazed. And then they brought in our strategic orphan care team, and by the end of the day, Pepper and I are looking at each other like, and saying, Lord, if there's any way we could be a part of this ministry. Finally, after two days of interviewing with Lifeline, our executive director, his name is Herbie, Herbie sits down with, with Pepper and with me, and he says, David, really, at the end of the day, Lifeline is just a ministry that is carrying the gospel to the nations. We're just using the platform of adoption and orphan care. And so we help our families who are adopting through Lifeline to understand that no matter what country you're adopting from, the hope for these children is not America. And the hope for these children is not even adoption. 
The hope for these children is the message of the gospel. The same message of the gospel that Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 10, that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. The same message of the gospel that in chapter 1 he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the gospel that transforms lives. And so I'm, I'm grateful that the ministry that I'm involved in is a ministry that comes alongside the local church to carry Christ to the nations because it's the message of Christ and the message of the gospel that is transforming. And so um, the, the missionary's message is the message of the gospel. And then the missionary's method. Let's, that's where I really want to drill down today is beginning in verse 14. So Look again at Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How can they call on him they've not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And so I want to speak to you today on this subject. Great commission sending. Great commission sending. We think a lot about missionaries who are the ones who go. And that's part of the Great Commission and a vital part. If there were not goers, there would not be missions. Is that fair to say? John Piper has said that there are three kinds of Christians. There are goers and senders and disobedient. Those are three options. We're either going to carry Christ to the nations. We're sending those who God has called to go. Or we're disobedient. I agree with what Dr. Piper says. And so the one question I would ask you today before we talk about Great Commission sending is, has God called you to be a goer? Don't dismiss that, that question too quickly. Let me just let it percolate with you a little bit. Has God called you to be a goer when it comes to global missions and the Great Commission? Immediately we throw up a lot of reasons why this couldn't be true. But has God called you? I didn't say, do you want to? I said, has God called you to? Sometimes I think we look at the Great Commission kind of like we did back when we were in geometry class. Remember geometry class in 10th grade? And the teacher would have you come up on the board and, and you would have to write the, what do they call them, the proofs. And you'd have to show the equation and you'd have to show your work and demonstrate how you got the answer to this geometric uh, formula and equation and problem. And I know you weren't like me, but when I was sitting in geometry class in 10th grade, I would try to find the biggest football player that I could sit behind because I knew the teacher was going to have us come up on the board. And if I could fit kind of behind him and hide behind him, and so when the teacher's calling names, one thing you definitely don't want to do is make eye contact with the teacher, right? Because you just, so you keep your head down, you kind of tuck yourself in, you, you, you stay low, you don't make eye contact, and then you pray, God, please don't let her call on me, please don't let her call on me. And I think sometimes we approach the Great Commission that way. Lord, please don't call on me. Lord, please don't call on me. Not understanding the privilege and joy and honor it is to be called by God, to be a goer, to carry the treasure of the gospel to foreign nations. Has God called you to go? How do you know? Whatever you just, however you just answered that question, how do you know? Adoption was not something that Pepper and I pursued. Adoption pursued us. We, we didn't talk about it when we were dating. It was not something that as we were thinking about how to grow our family, that adoption was on our radar. 
um, adoption really pursued us. I remember being at a coffee shop one time, and I saw a, a pastor in that coffee shop getting some coffee, and I recognized him as uh, being the pastor of a church that kind of had a reputation for caring about orphans, being engaged in adoption and foster care. And at that point, this was a part of uh, becoming a part of our lives. And so I thought, I'm going to go over and introduce myself. He doesn't know who I am. I'm going to go over and introduce myself and just thank him for the reputation that his church has for caring for orphans. And so I did. I walked over and I introduced myself. Uh, you don't know me, but I know you. I know about your church. I know you have a heart for the fatherless and that you serve vulnerable children through your church. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. And he appreciated that and expressed appreciation. We were talking and he said, have you ever adopted? And I said, well, well no, no, we haven't adopted. We, you know, we don't really feel called to adopt, but uh, we just kind of try to encourage and wrap around families that have adopted and love on them and support them, but we don't really feel like God has called us to adopt. And he said, how do you know? Have you ever asked him? And I said, excuse me? He said, how do you know that God hadn't called you to adopt? Have you ever asked him? I'm getting really uncomfortable in this coffee shop at this point, shuffling my feet, and I'm, I'm thinking, and I said, I was honest, I said, well, no, I haven't really asked God, are you calling me to adopt? And he grabbed his coffee from the counter and he said, well, I don't know how you can know that God's not calling you to adopt if you've never even bothered to ask him. And he walked out the coffee shop door. <laughs> and I'm standing there like he just pulled a pen out of a grenade and handed it to me and left the room. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? But God used that brother, and I tease him a lot about uh, that encounter God used that brother to speak to my heart, to speak to our hearts, and we began to pray about what God would have us do. Is God, are you calling us to adopt? And so, eight years ago today, we adopted this little girl in the front row, who's 19 now. She was 10 when she came into our family, and then we adopted her a few months later. And, and then uh, shortly after that, God brought this uh, superhero into our family, and we have adopted two into our home now because we took the time to ask God are are you calling us to adopt how do you know that God's not calling you to go to the mission field if you've never taken the time to ask him and some of you think well you know that ship has sailed <laughs> I'm too advanced in years to do that one of the exciting trends we didn't get to talk about trends today but one of the exciting trends that I see in missions is folks going um, in their retirement years to the mission field. I see folks going as businessmen. We call, them, we call it BAM, business as missions. And people are going, getting a job in a corporation overseas. That's their source of income. That's what they're there to do. They have a work visa. They got a job. They're there living to come alongside of a church planter who's also there. And they're part of the leadership team in that local church plant to help that church plant get off the ground. We see college students who are choosing to get their degrees internationally at universities. There are all kind of scholarship benefits for American students who will go overseas to get their college degree. And students are doing that not just to get their degree, but with the intention of going as missionaries. Let me ask you this question. How do you know whether God has called you to be a goer or not? Have you ever asked him? 
Have you ever, well, it's getting way too uncomfortable in the room, so let's move on to something else. Uh, so the, the, um, the fact is you don't need a command to go. You already have one. Christ gave us one five times in the New Testament, four times or once in each of the Gospels and once in the book of Acts, the great commission given to us by our commander-in-chief, by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need a command to go. You already have one. In fact, you need a command not to go. In order to be a great commission sender, you need a command from God not to go because we already have the command to go. Do you have that command? To stay, and if you do, are you a goer, a sender, or are you disobedient? You can't be a passive goer, right? You can't be a passive goer. Have you ever struck up a conversation with somebody at a a ball game or at a restaurant, and you find out, oh, they're a missionary? Where are you a missionary? Well, I'm a missionary in Pakistan. Oh, you are. Well, when did you come back from Pakistan? Oh, I've never been to Pakistan. Oh, but you're a missionary. So you're going to? No, I'm not going to Pakistan. Oh, but how do you reach the people of Pakistan? I don't really do anything to try to reach the people of Pakistan. But you say you're a missionary to Pakistan. Well, I am. I'm just kind of a passive missionary. I don't really do anything about it. How ridiculous is that? You can't be a goer and be passive. And you can't be a Great Commission sender and just be passive. You can't be a Great great Commission sender just by default. Well, okay, they're the goers and the rest of us are just senders because we're not goers. That makes us senders. That doesn't make you a sender. It might make you disobedient. (laughs) So you can't be a passive sender any more than you could be a passive goer. God calls us to be actively, deliberately, intentional about our role in the Great Commission, whether it is to be a goer or to be a sender, and to not be actively, intentionally, deliberately fulfilling our role as a Great Commission Uh, in Great Commission engagement is for us to be disobedient. I don't want any of us to walk out of here disobedient today. My prayer for you is that, and and I've already prayed it in this service, is that we would walk out of here understanding our role in global missions and the Great Commission and joyfully embracing and pursuing that, that role. So, he says here in verse 15, how can they preach unless they are sent. That word sent is the Greek word apostolosin. It comes from a root word apostolos. uh, It's the word we get the word apostle from. The word apostle literally means sent one. Sent one. In the Latin, this word sent is missio. We get the word missionary and missions from this word. And God is saying they will go when they are sent. Now, who does the sending here? Is it God who does the sending? Is it the church who does the sending? Is it believers who do the sending? And the answer to that question uh, is yes. God is the one who calls and sets apart and sends goers to go. But God also commissions the church to send out missionaries as well. So let me show you an example of this from the Scripture Uh, hold your place if you can, unless you're electronic, and then just click over to uh, Acts chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter 13. Here's the example of the church at Antioch. So if you've got your Bibles, turn, flip, click, swipe to Acts chapter 13. So you've got this church in Antioch, the early church here in Acts. And verse 1 says, In the church that was in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, we'll know Barnabas. He goes on this first missionary journey we're going to see in this chapter. 
Simeon, who was called Niger. Some believe that that was Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Christ on the Via Dolorosa. Uh, Lucius, the Cyrenian. Menaean, uh, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who was uh, related in a way, either uh, we think probably the foster brother of Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist and who would pre uh, preside over the trial of Christ, and, and Saul, in verse 1. And they were, as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. And so it is God that sends goers, right? But look at verse 3. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Who is the they there? The they there is the church at Antioch. Who is sending these missionaries? God is sending these goers, and the church is sending these goers. The church at Antioch was being a great commission sender. And so off they go. They sail over to Cyprus. They get on the island of Cyprus. They start going in the synagogues there, preaching the gospel there in the synagogues. And some receive their word and, and are converted. Uh, there's a sorcerer, a false prophet, who does not like the fact that they're there, kind of edging in on his uh, religious business. And so uh, the governor of that island, a Roman governor, wants to hear the gospel. He hears about this message going on. He says, bring these guys to me. I want to hear what they have to say. And he's, his heart's very open to the gospel. This sorcerer tries to turn him away from them and uh, ends up uh, being confronted by Saul and Barnabas and struck blind. This governor ends up hearing the gospel and is saved. And then they move on. But as they move on, John Mark kind of bails on them and quits the team and goes back to Jerusalem. And there's a big problem there that's going to be addressed later. Um, but they move on into what is modern-day Turkey. And they begin to go into synagogues there. And they see people come to Christ. But there's some uh, in those synagogues that are not welcoming this message at all. To the point that when they got to Iconium, they were ready to stone these brothers. And so they had to escape. And they went to another, uh, other towns and other synagogues and preaching the word there. And people are being saved. And these folks that were in Iconium chase them down and end up stoning Saul. Uh, or, uh, he'll, in this chapter, actually, this chapter is, is where he kind of transitions from being called Saul to being called Paul. So they stone Paul, leave him for dead, drag him outside they, of the city because they think he is dead. And the brothers come and, and help revive him and recuperate and resuscitate him. And then he keeps going to these other cities and other um, uh, uh, towns where he is planting churches and establishing elders and training and preaching and teaching. And then they finish kind of the end of that line and they decide on the way home they're going to go back to all those same places, including the places where he was stoned and where he tried, they tried to stone him. He stops back along there planting churches, equipping pastors, uh, establishing elders, and then he comes back uh, at the end of chapter 14 in, Acts, uh, in the book of Acts and says in verse 26, from there they sailed back to Antioch, look at this, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. This church at, at Antioch sent them out, pulled them back because they had entrusted the work of the gospel of missions to Saul and Barnabas and their team. Verse 27, after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and all the stuff that I just told you about that happened. I'm sure they reported all that. Verse 28, they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So we see this 
example of a, a Great Commission church sending. Who sends? God sends, but so do we as believers, and so do we as the church. We're to be involved in our role. If God doesn't let us go, then our role is to be a sender, a Great Commission sender. I think about and was reading again last night about the father of the modern missionary movement, William Carey, back in the 1700s in England, who was a cobbler. Uh, not that he made pies, he actually made shoes and uh, repaired shoes, and he was a cobbler. God called him to preach. He couldn't preach his way out of a, a wet paper bag, but God called him to preach. He wasn't a great preacher. Uh, he said, I'm just kind of a plodder. I just, you know, I'm not making great advances in the kingdom, but I'm just trying to plod along faithfully. They, they sent him, uh, uh, or he had a burden to carry Christ to the nations. He wrote uh, a pamphlet that uh, I think the title was An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians for the con- to Use Means as the Conversion of the Heathen and said we need to be going on the mission field and carrying the gospel. Missions had fallen on hard times at that point. He shares that with some of his Calvinistic brothers who say, listen, brother, if God wants to save the heathen, he's going to do it without your help or mine. Just sit down, be quiet. You don't, don't make a ruckus about this. We're doing fine. Kerry wouldn't sit down. He wouldn't let that go. And there were some brothers around him that said, we believe in what you're saying. We believe that this is biblical, that we have a responsibility right here in the 18th century to carry Christ to the nations. William Carey said, I believe God's leading us to India. I believe that India is a dark, deep mine for the gospel. And I will go down into that mine if you brothers will stay here and hold the ropes. And so Andrew Fuller and some other brothers stayed and raised money and provided support and encouragement and help for William Carey and his team to go to India where he translated the Bible, the parts of the New Testament, into almost 25 different languages, where he planted churches, where he equipped pastors, where he started Sarampore College to train pastors that's still in operation today in India. And God was able to to do that through this brother because there were some that recognized their role back home of being a Great Commission sender. So, what is the task of a Great Commission sender. I want to share with you today four tasks or four traits of being a Great Commission sender. The Bible's clear about what is the task of a Great Commission goer. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you. So the goer's responsibility is to go The goer's responsibility is to make disciples, evangelize and discipleship. The goer's responsibility is to baptize. I believe that that carries with it the implication of church planting because baptism is a responsibility of the institution of the church. And so there needs to be a church where there's the ordinance of baptism. And so church planting was involved in that and and teaching the scriptures was involved in it. The, The tasks of the goer are laid out for us in the Great Commission. What are the tasks of Great Commission sending. If God's not calling you to go and you know you shouldn't be disobedient, then what is your role as a Great Commission sender? Let me suggest four traits. These aren't the only traits, but four traits of a Great Commission sender. And they all rhyme, which my wife thinks is a little cheesy, but they all rhyme, and so it's going to be easy for us to remember. The first uh, trait of a Great Commission sender is to be aware. To be aware. Do you know the missionaries that your church supports? Do you know their names? Do you know their spouses? 
Do you know what countries they're in? Do you know what people group they're trying to reach? Do you know the means that they're trying to uh, reach that group? Is it through church planting? Is it through theological education? Is it through orphan care? Is it, is it through some other kind of ministry? Do you know what your missionaries are doing? How in the world can we be great commission senders if we don't even know the people that we're sending? We have to be aware of who they are, where they've been called, who they've been called to, what they're trying to do. We have an obligation as senders to be aware of the missionaries that we are supporting. How can we hold the ropes for those who've gone down into the mine of missions if we're not even aware of who's down in that hole? And so we must be aware. You need to know who they are. How, how can you do that? How can you be aware? Well, the church is providing means like this missions conference. And many of these missionaries probably are sending out some kind of prayer letter or uh, newsletter or e-newsletter. We send out uh, an e-newsletter uh, at Lifeline and also our team here in Florida. Lifeline Florida sends out a monthly e-news. Our folks that get that in their email inbox, use that as a reminder to pray for Lifeline and pray for the work that's going on and pray for things that we've got coming just over the hill. Most missionaries provide some kind of means for you to stay informed as to what's going on on the field so that you can be aware. When missionaries are brought in to your church, that's not the Sunday to skip. That's the Sunday to come and meet these folks and find out who they are and where they're serving and what they're doing. Some of these missionaries might have social media if security's not an issue where they serve. They might have a blog. They might have a podcast. But there are a lot of ways that you can be proactive and deliberate in finding, trying to find out who is it that I'm sending, I'm a part of sending, what are they doing, who are they serving, and how are they trying to reach those folks with the gospel. You cannot be a Great Commission sender without being aware. The second trait of a Great Commission sender is prayer. And I put this second instead of first because you can't really pray unless you're aware. What are you going to pray for? Well, God, today we pray that you would heal the sick and save the lost and help the missionaries. How do you know if God answers that prayer or not? That is so vague and so general. I'm talking about prayer that is specific and prayer that is systematic, that you are deliberately, intentionally having a way to pray for these that you're holding the ropes for. Maybe they're going through an illness. Maybe they're going through a visa issue that's going to remove them from the country if God doesn't work this issue out. Maybe the political climate there is such that it's time to really intercede for persecution that's being increased in their area. Maybe they have a project coming up that's going to, to reach out and, and be involved evangelistically with the group that they're trying to, to reach. But as you're aware, that awareness now is a call to prayer for you to pray for those missionaries that you're holding the rope for. Our team at Lifeline is about 150 uh, staff members stateside. We have, we have team members around the, the world in the countries that we serve. But we have about 150 team members stateside. We are based out of Birmingham. We're in all of the SEC states, plus North Carolina, Virginia, uh, come, Oklahoma's coming on board, and we're in Kansas. Our team gathers every morning on a video call for prayer, 30 to 45 minutes of prayer. Every day we gather for prayer. The reason for that is we understand we cannot do what God's called us to do apart from the power of the gospel. And so we gather together on this video call for prayer. Every week, 
We are praying for a particular country where we work. We're praying for government officials that we have to partner with in those, in those countries. We pray for the church in that country and, and pastors in that country. We pray for orphans by name in that country. We pray for adoptive families that are, that are pursuing adoption in that country by name. We, we pray for um, uh, the success of the gospel. Uh, we pray for some of our uh, strategic orphan care partners in, uh, in that country. Every morning we spend time. To, last week we were praying for Romania. This coming week we'll be praying for Costa Rica. And every morning we are spending time praying about one aspect of that, that country's uh, ministry, our ministry in that country. And it's such an encouragement to know that in addition to that, there are partners that have come alongside Lifeline who are praying with us. Praying with us. I, I think of a, a brother here in this church who partners with us financially but he prays for this ministry, and he's a prayer warrior. And, and that's his reputation. When I think of him, I think of a prayer warrior. And he's praying for the ministry of Lifeline and the work that we're doing around the world, as well as the work that I'm doing across the state and in our community. And so uh, we, we, are, um, we just can't imagine doing this work without the prayers of God's people. We know that there are folks that are holding the rope for the work that we're doing because they're aware of what we're doing and because they're praying with us. The third trait of a great commission sender is not only to be aware and not only prayer, but share. Make sure I got these in the right order. Share. Obviously, it, it takes resources to send these goers to be involved in missions. It takes, it takes financial resources to, to fund the ministry of Lifeline, uh, the ministry that I'm engaged in. And it's important for us, if we're going to be holding the rope, part of that is that we are sharing of our own resources, sharing of our own influence, uh, giving to these ministries to mobilize and equip these goers to be able to go. And so my question to you is, who are you coming alongside and partnering with financially to be an effective Great Commission sender? Like I said, there, there, there are several in this congregation who give monthly to the Ministry of Lifeline. And I appreciate you so much. And you mean so much to, to me and to our team and to our ministry overall. And there are other missionaries that this church serves that some of them have to raise their own support or some of them need resources. And, and uh, their organization, their sending agencies need resources to be able to keep them on the field. And you have the opportunity as a church and as individuals to come alongside them and to share with them and invest in them and also to advocate for them and to advocate for the work that they're doing and to, to participate, if that's possible, in the work that they're doing. The fourth trait of a Great Commission sender that I would share with you is to be aware, to be engaged in prayer, to share, and then to care. To care. These are husbands and wives, or these are single adults, or these are moms and dads. These are kids that God has called to the mission field. They have uh, desires and dreams and hobbies and interests just like you and I do. They're real people. They're not, they don't put on a cape when they get on a plane to go overseas. They're just normal folks. We need to love on them. They get discouraged. They get tired. They get beat down. They're on the front lines of spiritual warfare and it gets, it gets, they get battle fatigue. And they need us to hold their arms up. They need us to hold the rope. They need us to care for them and love on them. Whether it is as they are preparing to go 
to wrap around them and love and encourage and support them, or whether it is while they are on the field, or it may be when they're coming back, that re-entry for missionaries sometimes is very difficult to come back into the culture that we call home, but they haven't called it home for a long time. And to acclimate back to American culture and acclimate their kids back to American culture, sometimes very difficult for missionaries. And Great Commission senders that will recognize that and come around them and help that is a tremendous help. We have uh, missionaries that uh, we support that are serving um, Muslims. And um, recently they were based out of uh, New York City. And so we went up to New York City to uh, just have a kind of a, a few days getaway for our marriage and spend some time together. And while we were there, we thought we would connect with them and grab some coffee. And this is a couple that we had... We've walked through some deep waters with them as they faced infertility, as they faced miscarriage, and we've tried to just love on them and hold the ropes well for them. And so we, while we were in town, we wanted to make sure that we could at least be face-to-face with them. So we grabbed coffee, and they shared with us that night the wonderful news that they just found out that they were pregnant. They hadn't told anybody but their parents. We were the first ones to tell. They said, we wanted you to be the first ones who told because you've loved us so well while we've been on the mission field. And so uh, we rejoiced with them in that. And while we were there, we were tooling around doing all the tourist stuff you do when you're in New York City. And we found this restaurant that was just fantastic. I'd heard an interview on the radio a couple of months before by the chef or of the chef. And I thought, you know, when we go in a few, in a few weeks, we ought to try that restaurant out. We went. It was magnificent. And so what we decided to do is after we got back home, here in Florida, we called that restaurant, ordered a wonderful meal for this couple. This is a restaurant they probably would never go to on their own just because they're, you know, missionaries on the field trying to watch pennies. And so we were able to buy a meal for them and have it delivered to them and just to say, we love you, we support you, we're cheering you. We had so much fun doing that. Have fun with this as you're caring for missionaries, as you're caring for their families and for their kids. They, it, nothing will warm their heart towards you more knowing that you are staying aware of what they're doing, that you're praying and interceding on their behalf, that you're invested in what they're doing financially, and that you really do deeply and profoundly care. God has called every believer in this room to go or to send. He's called none of us in this room to be disobedient. What is your role in global missions and the Great Commission, and will you joyfully today embrace and pursue that role? Let's pray together. Thank you for the treasure of the gospel that you've given to us to carry to the ends of the earth. And Lord, there's some in this room, I believe there's some in this room that as a result of this missions conference, are going to come to the pastoral team of this church and say, I can't get away from the fact that I believe God may be calling me, God may be calling my family to go. And I want this church's instruction and mentoring and help to pursue that obediently. God, I pray that you would call out goers from this congregation to carry Christ to the nations. I pray, Lord, that those who do not get the privilege of obeying your command to go will understand your clear command to send and help them to be an effective Great Commission sender for the salvation of sinners, for the proclamation of the gospel, for the advancement of your kingdom, 
and for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.